Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that was in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Welcome to season two of Faith in Your Recovery. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're here for you and we want to be with you. We get the struggle, we get the challenge, we get the stigma, that sense of loss. So whether we're your first choice or your last chance, we don't care and we hope you don't. We're just glad you're part of our audience. We want to do the best we can do to make a difference, to lift you up, to help you find a better life. I'm your host, Randy Davis, a retired pastor, founder and executive director of A Better Life, Brianna's Hope. We're a participant-driven, faith-based, compassion-filled support and recovery movement for those battling the battle with substance use disorder slash addiction. Have a couple of guests today. First off, from the healthy communities of Clinton County, Laura Archibald. Welcome, Laura. Hello, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for sharing your time today and being ready to offer to the folks some hope, some help, some options, and some promise for their future. Why don't you give us a little story of what your life looks like? what you're about, how you're involved with the recovery community, and we'll move forward from there. So please share with us. I would love to do that. So I'm a nurse by um, trade and worked in um, nursing for 23 years. And part of that time was in rehab. And while I was working as a nurse, I just kept seeing the outcomes of chronic health conditions. And a lot of times that was related to things like substance use disorder. And so at some point I decided that I really wanted to change career paths and get in on the prevention side. And that led me to my journey to healthy communities. And so I went to healthy communities of Clinton County nine years ago um, and now I've become the executive director and really just in the last few years have we really started concentrating on addiction services. Um, during COVID, you know, we know that that need became greater than ever and we had been doing some small things prior to COVID, but with COVID and the increase in overdose rates, the increase in usage, we decided that it was going to become a primary focus area for us. And so at Healthy Communities, we do a lot of prevention work in the schools, um, but we also implemented a peer recovery coach program um, and a system of care program and then kind of built off of those um, two programs to have kind of a community-wide um, recovery system 
for the people living in our community. So you made a statement there that just over the last few years, have you changed your your focus, your concentration to deal more with that substance use disorder? How many years ago was that, or past what three or four years, kind of thing? Yeah, really. In the midst of COVID, we saw the increased need with mental health and substance use. Um, those were the two crisis areas that we were getting the most calls for during COVID, and um, seeing the biggest need for helping people. And so really in the middle of the COVID crisis is kind of where we started changing our focus a little bit and concentrating more on mental health and the substance use um, field than we had prior. I am so thankful for you throwing in those two words, mental health, because too many times we separate addiction slash substance use disorder from mental health. And I think where there's where there's addiction, there is mental health, not necessarily where there's mental health issues, there is addiction. But that overlap and everything that goes with that creates a greater struggle for that individual who's battling that. Yes? Absolutely. I mean, I I would say the majority of people that we work with who are struggling with addiction have what we consider dual diagnosis, and that they suffer from a mental health um, disorder and substance use disorder. And, you know, really, you have to get help for both to sustain long-term recovery, and that's really the ultimate goal. And then they're dealing with that stigma and bias from society that settles on top of all of that, makes it a little harder to want to start going through those layers, right? Absolutely. And I think that's probably where our community has made the greatest strides is I feel like Frankfurt and Clinton County, Indiana has just really embraced our recovery community. And we have just done a really nice job of decreasing that stigma and really introducing the concept that people living in long-term recovery are an asset to your community and, you know, getting our people living in recovery out and about in the community active has been super important. And one of the key people to making that happen has been my, one of my peer recovery coaches and his name is Chris Ward, and he's on this call with us today. Welcome, Chris. We appreciate your willingness to join us and uh, tell us a little bit of your story, where you're at today, and then we're going to go back and kind of rehash things from the beginning, what led you into your struggles and how you were able to survive them and move beyond them to the point where you're at today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So uh, as Miss Laura said, uh, my name is Chris Ward. I, uh, I'm currently a peer recovery coach uh, here with Healthy Communities of Clinton County here in uh, Frankfort, Indiana. And, um, so I, I've, I've, uh, I'm, I'm in recovery myself. Um, so uh, February 24th and 23 will be seven years that I've been able to um, uh, stay sober and, and um, uh, work on my recovery. Um, so yeah, I've, uh, I was an army guy uh, for seven years, and then um, uh, was injured and uh, in war, and that led to 
uh, an awful lot of rehab um, in in um, in the hospital. And so um, in that process, I got uh, just insanely addicted to uh, opiate pain medication. And um, that was right around the time when they started strength, the, uh, the FDA started uh, implementing more um, uh, control mechanisms to uh, much needed, much needed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. So, uh, the, unfortunately, the progression of, of um, uh, oftentimes with the uh, opiate addicts, they, um, uh, when we can't get the opiate pain medication, that uh, then unfortunately leads to a um, a heroin addiction. And so, I I I'd struggled with um, the heroin addiction for several years after that. So, um, I was able to I was able to find recovery. Um, uh, my path to recovery and um, uh, uh, through the way was uh, I had a chance encounter with uh, Miss Laura and uh, the rest is history. Awesome. Awesome. Prior to your military service, and thank you for your service. We salute that here at Faith in Your Recovery, and I do as well. I'm a veteran myself, and uh, I take pride in that. I could hear it. I could hear some of that in you, even with the struggles it created. But prior to your military service, did you have any battle with addiction of any type, or was that? I did not. Okay. I absolutely did not. Um, and I mean, you know, you can uh, you can talk to my mom and daddy, and I, I, I was a pretty squeaky clean kid. I I didn't um, I didn't really get in much trouble or anything like that. That's why this was such a uh, just such a colossal. Um, uh, uh, surprise to my family uh, they had no uh, exposure to addiction um, uh, whether it be uh, substance use disorder alcohol use disorder uh, they just had no experience with addiction I didn't know what addiction was uh, I had never taken a, a opiate pain medication prior to that so yeah this this was uh this was just it, it, I, it unfortunately it was just uh, being on um, opiate pain medication for 13 months in a hospital trying to manage post-operative pain so Wow, so that was for, were you in the hospital 13 months or on the medication for 13? I was in the hospital for 13 months, recovering from 23 uh, surgeries. So I was inpatient for, 23, so, uh, for 13 months. So could we ask, what was the injury and how did it come about? Absolutely. So uh, on our last deployment to Iraq, uh, our truck hit an IED and was uh, we were ambushed, and um, so uh, that led to. Uh, thankfully, we had sandbags in the floorboard. It's, uh, that's a funny story in and of itself. We were almost too lazy to fill the sandbags um, uh, the night prior, but um, uh, we were afraid that our company commander would come do spot checks down at our fob, and so uh, we reluctantly filled sandbags with flo- uh, and uh, lined the floorboards of each vehicle because we were receiving um, information that. Uh, that these types of uh, IED attacks was starting. So um, we reluctantly did that the night before. And then uh, as, as, as fate would hold it, we, uh, uh, we hit an IED the next, uh, next morning. And um, uh, so what that did was it, it, it sent shrapnel up. Uh, we were very fortunate because, again, had we not filled them sandbags, I think, I'm not sure I'd be, I'm not real sure I'd be on this call right now, but so it, it uh, what it did was it slowed down a whole lot of shrapnel, uh, but still, uh, some went through my feet, um, uh, my first and fifth metatarsal, 
uh, in my right foot uh, was blown completely out. And so I've, I've, I've just got a whole lot of hardware in my legs and, 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 uh, uh, and feet in particular. I have never heard now. I, I precede you a little bit. I was in this service back during Vietnam. I was not in Vietnam. My brother was. So at that time, they weren't going to send us both there. But I had never heard the story of the sandbags for the floorboard and all. And that's just to lessen the blow. Yes? Uh, yes, sir. So uh, we weren't uh, uh, this. Uh, this uh, we had armored uh, vehicles, but um, not all of our uh, vehicles were armored. So like the Humvees weren't armored at that point, um, only like striker vehicles and things like that that we would take actually in the battle. And so uh, uh, to mitigate any type of uh, damage associated with uh, with IEDs that was happening all over the country at that point, uh, we just we were told uh, to layer our our floorboards with sandbags, and it ended up being an obvious blessing. So your armor was sand in that respect. Wow. Uh, yes. Thank you for sharing that. And so I get the idea you're in the hospital, you're dealing with the pain, and I can't imagine what that must have been. And so it's 13 months of it, and... Obviously, it got a hold of you at that time. So how, remind us again of how you moved from the pills to, uh, you know, your other drugs of that moment. Yeah, absolutely. So I I, uh, I, I hadn't even been on pills uh, that entire 13 months. I was on a drip. And so it was just liquid. It was in my, uh-huh. it was in an IV. So um, when I had moved out, when I was discharged from the hospital, I went to another facility and that was the first time that I was given a bottle of pills. Um, and the expectation was that I was able to manage that uh, prescription and all that. So, um, I, I, uh, the pills seemed to be working. I didn't uh, experience any uh, significant withdrawal symptoms or anything like that. But what I did notice is as I got to the end of that first bottle, it was a Friday and, um, I knew that the staff was gone on the weekend and I, I noticed that my pills were running pretty low in that bottle, and I started to. Uh, I've, uh, perhaps now I, I I can label it as a panic attack, but I, I I wasn't sure what it was. I was getting uh, I was getting a whole lot of anxiety. I was getting super anxious, and so um, uh, that was uh, I I I'd called my mama and I uh, explained to her you know what was going on, and uh, she said I think you might be addicted, honey. And I said no, that's craziness. I've, uh, I'm I'm a soldier and there's no way I'm addicted. Well, it, I mean, you know, I think that was the first inkling that uh, that there was an issue, and so it it it, it didn't take long um, on that bottle. You know, I was I was I I took them as I was prescribed uh, for the first couple of refills, and then I I um I realized that if I took uh, the bottle set to take one um, every so many hours, but I realized quickly. Uh, if I took more than that, if I took two, uh, number one, I felt really good. Um, I felt uh, uh, euphoric and warm and uh, fuzzy. Um, and uh, but something else, it allowed me to sleep. I didn't have these gnarly nightmares. I didn't have, um, uh, I just wasn't just a ball of anxiety. So it almost was like a miracle drug to me, right? So, um, and I, I, I didn't see anything wrong with it because it's a prescribed medication. This isn't drugs. Of We're not course. talking heroin. We're not talking. Uh, so, 
uh, you know, I was naive. And, um, so I, I had, um, I had started over, um, indulging, if you will, um, uh, you know, to mitigate the, uh, the symptoms of maybe some mental health issues. Um, but, uh, I was, I was an army ranger. So I was, I was too tough. There's no way that I was, I was weak enough to have mental illness, which, I mean, you know, that was just, that was, that was just completely, uh, you know, irrational. So, um, anyhow, I just, I, I just began taking more. And obviously, as, as we know, with, uh, with opiates, uh, you got to take more and more because you start to grow a tolerance and, and obvious dependence. So, um, it stops fairly quickly becoming, uh, fun. It wasn't fun, uh, after, oh, four or five months. At that point, it was, it was maintenance. I had to, uh, I had to take five to stay okay instead of taking one. Um, and, and, and I, I you know, I was able to, uh, be, uh, I was able to be devious. I, I, I could, uh, I, I, you know, I was, um, in, in active addiction, we're master manipulators, right? We learn to get what we need. And, 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 um, and so I knew, uh, relatively quickly that if I ran out of my prescription, uh, faster than I was supposed to, I could just, I, I could talk that away and that I was, I was in significant pain. And if you don't believe me, take an x-ray and they would, and oh my goodness, yes, I, I bet you're in pain. So I, I, I would just play on, 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 um, on provider sympathy and things like that. Um, and, and, and around, uh, 2011, 2012, they, um, uh, they introduced this system where, um, I couldn't doctor shop anymore. Um, in essence, uh, there was a, a system in place that told one doctor that I was already on narcotics from a different doctor. Therefore, they wouldn't prescribe me um, any more opiates. And um, and so that was uh, once that uh, system uh, was rolled out, um, it became it, it it became very much uh, more difficult to uh, to get what I needed at at the volume of which I needed it. So. Um, yeah, so I, I uh, I'm embarrassed still, but I I I'd heard um, I'd heard about uh, you know I, I I was buying opiate pain medication off the streets as well, so I had uh, I had dealings with drug dealers every day, um, uh, but then I had heard you know uh, when they didn't have opiate pain medication, they would all always offer me uh, heroin, and I was not I mean you know I I. Uh, reinforce the stigma more than anyone and saying, no, I'm not a junkie. I'm not going to get on heroin. Like that's for drug addicts. I'm not a drug addict. Um, and then for whatever reason, uh, I, I was extremely sick one day. I remember it uh, very, uh, very clear and vividly. I, I, I was sick one day and, um, uh, I was sick from, uh, opiate withdrawal and I, I went and uh, got, I, I decided to try a little bit of heroin and oh my goodness, it was, it, it was everything that the pain pills were and more like it was, it was, it was great. It, it, uh, uh made me feel well again. And even uh, dare I say good. And so it did, I mean, you know, it, the same thing happened, um, you know, with the heroin. I, it just, I would do it and do it and do it. And then before long, it wasn't about fun anymore. It was, it, it was back to maintenance. Yeah. So how long were you on heroin? For, I, I was on I was on solely heroin for uh, for three years, but I had I had dabbled in uh, like that first time that I had taken it 
um, I, I was still taking pills. I would just use heroin as a supplement, like in between. If, if, if I had a, I mean, you know, I had ridiculous amounts of uh, opiate uh, medication. So they would give me like 240 uh, of some pretty strong um, pain pills. And, and I would take those, you know, and, and, uh, in a couple of weeks instead of 30 days. So then I would use the heroin for the next two weeks to get through until my next prescription was available. So I, I, I did those. I mean, I, I was on shenanigan status that whole time, but I, I would say just primarily heroin. I, I, I would say the last three years of my addiction. Okay. What? Oh, I'm not even sure how to ask this, Chris, but how, how did you convince yourself this is okay at that time? Because it it eliminated the pain and the discomfort? Was that it? Or did you know at the never, time you were lying to yourself? No, no, no. I, 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 was, um, I was always rational enough to know that I was just lying to myself. I, I was never okay with this. Let me be clear. So for, for the first four years of my addiction, my wife didn't even know I was addicted to anything. So, um, uh, so I, I, when I say I was a master manipulator, I, I, I was as good as it got. I, I um, uh, you know, I, I was never okay. I always felt dirty. I always felt, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a range of emotions because when you're, uh, you know, you're a military guy yourself, sir. So, I mean, you know, uh, there's a sense of pride that comes with that. And, um, and then when you find yourself uh, waiting in an alley uh, with your kids sleeping in your back seat, waiting for a drug dealer to meet you in a, in a very sketchy location, you start to question, you know, what, uh, what am I doing? And unfortunately those, um, uh, that didn't ever, um, uh, even those situations in particular weren't enough to, um, uh, to get me help. Okay. Uh, to get me to the point where I needed to get clean. So was there any incarceration due to drug usage or, you know, selling or buying in any way during your, uh, during your struggles? Yeah. So there, uh, there was no incarceration during my struggle. Um, uh, because medication or anything like that. But, um, so it, it, it all kind of came to a head one day, um, so I, I had um, I had decided that uh, my, uh, my family would probably be best if if I weren't here because I was just at this point I was creating a whole lot of havoc and and stress uh, for my family. I, uh, my daddy had to retire from, or he felt like he had to retire from his work because the people was talking about uh, the things I was doing. Um, I was stealing um, from anybody I knew. Uh, so it had just got to the point where I, I had decided that I'd put them through enough uh, pain. And so I had, um, I had decided I was going to rob a place, um, particularly a pharmacy. And I was going to take a whole bunch of pain pills and I was going to wait for the police to come. And I was just going to show them my gun and have them shoot me. Um, and I, I'm uh, so it's, uh, so yeah, so I've, I, I decided to go through with that plan uh, here in Frankfurt. Uh, that's what actually brought me to Frankfurt. That's why I'm here. Um, uh, that's why it'll be hard for me to ever leave Frankfurt because I I feel indebted to this community. I um I went into a CVS here 
and I shot the place up. I robbed it. Uh, I, I took all of their pain medication. I went out and sat on the hood of my vehicle, waiting on the police to come uh, to shoot me. The problem was they didn't come, and uh, they were uh, they were going by uh, at high rates of speed with uh, lights and sirens and everything. Couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, I got scared. I called my mama, and she begged me not to go through with it. Uh, she begged me to turn myself in. Uh, it ended up they uh, they went to the uh, the wrong CBS. Um, so uh, the police department went to a CBS that I wasn't at, but uh, uh, the pharmacist there was telling them I wasn't there, but they're thinking that um, I've got a gun to his head. So, uh, so yeah, so uh, I ended up uh, turning myself in and, um, and uh, surviving that ordeal. But yes, that came with incarceration and a whole lot of house arrest to follow. So how long were you? Why Go ahead. So, so that's actually why I'm here now. Um, I've, I was in prison uh, for three years, and then I got uh, released on um, home detention. And so while on the community corrections program, uh, I was uh, I was receiving a lot of treatment from the VA um, in uh, Danville, Illinois. And then uh, so each time that a veteran would sign on to the community corrections program here in uh, Frankfurt, they would call me down and ask me to talk to them. Uh, just kind of introduce myself to them as a point of contact, but also kind of introduce them to uh, specific resources available for people struggling with substance use disorder uh, through the VA. And then that led to uh, the chance encounter with Laura, who who then allowed me an actual job to get paid to do it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, Laura, let's get you back in this game here. What was a okay. lot? What was it like when Chris came to you there at that point in his life in the middle of that struggle and, you know, trying to determine the next best step, it sounds like? Tell us what some of those moments early on were like. So by the time he came um, to Healthy Communities, he was in long-term recovery, um, and it was interesting. You know, sometimes you just click with people, and uh, Chris by far was the longest interview I ever had in my life with someone. And he was open and honest and told me a story. And, you know, we talked in depth and we had this passion for our community in common. And we both have this great need to help people. And so, I mean, we just clicked right away and I knew that, I needed him on my team. And so we talked and we talked about him going to the peer recovery classes. Um, and he did that and got his um, certification to be a peer recovery coach. And really the rest is history. And, you know, he has just done an amazing job, not just as a peer recovery coach, but kind of being the face of recovery for our community. And, and getting other people to understand why it is so important to give people a chance, to give them a second chance, a third chance, sometimes a tenth chance, because people can and do recover, and there's hope, and they become valuable members of our community, and they see Chris out there doing all this wonderful work, they see him helping people, and it and it's 
you know, a good symbol for them to realize that people living in long-term recovery are an asset and we want that message out in our community. And I think that they've really embraced that as in in our community as a whole. And nobody's going to get long-term without being short-term first. And they've got to have that opportunity. They've got to have that grace, that forgiveness to where somebody steps up and says, I see potential. I see hope in you, and I'm going to be here with you until you see it in yourself. And absolutely, I think every community, and that is the way my program that uh, God's blessed me with got started. A young lady from our community going to a party, disappearing for 10 weeks before her body was found, that became a face that our community couldn't deny. That wasn't as positive, but what has come from it, she has changed the lives of thousands of people around Indiana, Ohio, and we're in South Carolina and Virginia as well. And I know some of those folks, and please don't anybody be offended with this, but back in my day, they would have posters of certain people who struggled, who had overcome it. We have our poster pictures there at home of people who have found the path to a better life and have found the hope that they want to have. And I can visualize Chris as being one of those people in the community. We've been blessed to go to different schools We have a couple, three or four people that are so well-known in a multi-county area. When they show up, you just see people smile. And I'm going to believe that he's one of those as well, that he has shown others he's proving it on a daily basis. And we all know that it's not complete. This is a journey. It's not a destination. But he stays above it all and gives folks that hope and gives you someone to point toward that you can get there as well. Exactly. And, and it is, you know, hope. And that's the message that we try to give people over and over and over. And, you know, Chris and I both know relapse is part of recovery. It is. And, And when people relapse, it's important that they have this support group around them and they, they feel like they can reach out and they can be honest, but giving them that, that vision of hope of what their life can be like in long-term recovery. That's the message that's important. That's the thing that we really try to do. And, you know, we've done lots of things and we listen to our people in recovery and we try to give them the things that they need, the tools that they need in their tool belt Yes, to lessen their struggles. And, you know, it, it, it's we talk a lot. Chris and I are both big on this. It's a hand up, not a handout. Exactly, you know, love that. We, yes, we 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 try to teach them the skills that they need to have long term recovery. And, um, it, you know, it's been really important. We we've, we've worked really hard at getting you know listening to what our people, our clients say. You know, one of the things that seems minimalistic, but it's not, is we kept hearing them say, we need sober activities to do with sober people. Uh-huh. And and that seems 
like a really small thing to people who don't understand, but it's not a small thing. They, they need to be able to replace bad habits with good, healthy things to do, and they need to do it with sober people. And so that's been one of the things that we've really concentrated on this year is getting some um, healthy, sober activities for people to do Super. in safe in safe environments and those efforts are really going well. Um, Chris is really spearheaded having um, our people in recovery out there volunteering in the community, working side by side with our mayor, the police officers, corrections, probation, and having them all work together as a team at things like food pantries and things. Um, So the people are working side by side with people who arrested them in the past or whatever. And so, you know, it's been really nice to bridge those gaps and really help decrease the stigma around substance use disorder. We do recover. It takes a community. Nobody has ever said it will be easy, but I've yet to meet someone in recovery that has said it's not worth it. We know that it is because we see it daily. We see that that struggler become someone who is successful and of value and worth in their own eyes. And when that light comes on, bar the door because they're going to run forward and share it with somebody else. Love to see the infectious aspect of recovery. So, Chris, tell the folks a little about your life as a peer recovery coach, because I'm sure we have some audience out there who doesn't truly know what a peer recovery coach is about, uh, the role they play, the outreach they offer, the resource they can be. So share that. Yes, sir. Um, So, yeah, uh, everything you just said, um, a peer recovery coach, um, this model hasn't been around for a long time, uh, but it it is insanely insane effective we um as peers uh we've been there uh we've been uh, we've been in the in the throes of addiction uh we've walked it uh we've been uh, we've been able to uh to overcome that so and 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 to reach long-term recovery and so our our job is uh, quite simply uh to be motivators uh to be cheerleaders <clears throat> uh, we're allies uh, we're confidants. Uh, we're also truth tellers, though. You know, we're uh, we're honest. We're uh, um, we don't tend to sugarcoat things because uh, that doesn't help anyone. Uh, we're role models, right? So we've. Uh, I'll I'll show you my life as an example. Um, it's hard to manipulate. It's hard to manipulate a master manipulator. Correct. I'm I'm, I'm going to tell you. We've got that exact exact feedback verbatim um it the reason that this program is effective is that it's hard it's hard to manipulate a manipulator so um uh, but we're also uh, resource brokers right we're uh, we're engaged in uh, not just our community but surrounding communities as well so we can uh, we can better um uh, link uh, our clients our recoveries up with resources needed um we're advocates. We testify on behalf of our clients as character witnesses in court trials. We submit letters to judges based on um, uh, a client's participation in our program. Uh, we're community organizers. You know, Miss Laura, uh, she's kind, and 
um, in, in, um, in what she says, but that's our job. You know, our, our community engagement, um, that's kind of our job, right? So our, as the people, um, in active addiction, uh, dealing with substance use disorder, our contact with police, uh, law enforcement, probation, parole, corrections, all of those uh, types of people generally aren't good contacts, right? Uh, so there's some, uh, there's this uh, inherent stress um, and anxiety associated with contact with any contact with law enforcement sometimes. And so for all it's of important us. that we, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's important that we marry, uh, we marry these individuals up for positive contact, right? So that we can normalize, um, uh, we can normalize contact with law enforcement uh, from people who are living in recovery, who are new to recovery or striving to be in recovery. And so, uh, we do things like food pantries and things like that where we'll work alongside uh, uh, the mayor, the chief of police, um, uh, just uh, the leadership at the police department uh, so that, A, they can get to know us a little bit better. And and and, um, and in that, uh, uh, reduce the stigma, so to speak. But yes. also, um, uh, when we work alongside our corrections officers our probation officers it allows them to see that we're not just a client um uh, for them but we're also people right we have feelings we're uh, sometimes funny um and 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 so i i would like to think that sometimes contacts like that just breed uh, a little bit more leniency maybe uh, more well, I'm of the total belief we also have a stigma and a bias against law enforcement most of the time, especially if they're the one that's chasing us doing 70 and 55, okay? And uh, we've got to bridge that gap as well. So, Chris, here's what I'd like for you to do. Take the next couple of minutes here and share with us, I know that's, <laughs> that's a brief sharing, your recovery journey. I know no two journeys are the same. Just kind of sum it up in a couple of minutes here, please. Absolutely. So uh, it is definitely a God thing. Um, so I, how, I, uh, how I got to healthy communities, the, uh, the chance encounters and whatnot. So it, as it would turn out, our director of operations worked for the attorney who was representing me in the robbery case. And I didn't know that because I was too, I was too delusional at that point in time to recognize who she was. Once I realized that it, it was, it was a, it was definitely a God moment. So now she's my director of operations, but she was responsible for contacting the veteran affairs over in Danville, Illinois and getting me signed up for a long-term, uh, this is going to be a long, it's, it's, it's called the PRRTP, or the Psychosocial Residential Rehabilitation Treatment Program. So that's just the VA's long way uh, um, uh, or long description of a dual diagnosis recovery center that deals with uh, PTSD and then substance use disorder simultaneously. So our director of operations got me over there, um, and so I started the nine-month program. Uh, I, it, it took... I took two visits to the mental health clinic uh, for uh, for post-traumatic stress disorder to uh, change my life uh, completely, and um, it, it I, that allowed the ball to roll on on, on um, 
on, on my substance use disorder uh, treatment. So uh, once I realized that I wasn't less of a man, um, I didn't have to, uh, uh, I didn't have to carry this John Wayne uh, manly coat of, uh, <laughs> so, uh, but instead I was able to be vulnerable uh, for a couple of sessions and it, I mean, it just completely changed my life. And so then it got to just be, um, I learned uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, several other therapies, uh, such as prolonged exposure, things like that. But I, I basically just learned uh, that I needed to consistently prioritize my long-term best interest over my short-term gratification, right? So, so as long as I kept that as a forefront of my mind, is this in my long-term best interest? Is, it, it has uh, – that mentality has uh, – uh, has played a critical role in keeping me in long-term recovery. So it's, it's, I just, uh, uh, just to be honest with you, my recovery consists of uh, helping other people in this role specifically, but also just making sure that every day I'm just consistently prioritizing my long-term best interest over any type of short-term gratification that any substance would give me. You sound like you're a sponge that's soaking up everything that can make you successful and wringing it out on others around you. Thank you for that. Here's a final question for you, Chris. The title of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. Tell us what that means to you in about 30 seconds. It means John 3.30. It means that uh, he must become greater and I must become less. It means being completely and totally um, open to uh, guidance spiritually. Wow. <laughs> you can't say it much better than that. The scripture fits it perfectly. And when I say fits it, fits your story it's my story, and the bottom line is everybody else's. It may not become our battle cry, but it needs to be in there. So, Chris, thank you. Thank you for joining us here today on Faith in Your Recovery. Laura, thank you. Laura, I want to challenge you as well. Go ahead and give us your definition of the words faith in your recovery. I think faith in your recovery is finding your path, however you find it, whenever, whenever you find it. Having faith that there will be God, there will be support people, there will be a community surrounding you with support if you allow it. Love that. We like to use the idea that You've got to have faith in yourself, faith in your community, faith in your recovery, and above all, faith in God. That certainly doesn't make it the only definition, but that's pretty parallel to what you had to say there. I thank you both for your time, for your willingness, and for the work that you're doing in your community. We have a chapter there at St. Matthew United Methodist Church of A Better Life, Brianna's Hope that they're doing great things. I get a lot of a lot of feedback from what happens in Frankfurt. You guys are becoming somewhat of a, well, a poster group, a poster community for recovery. 
keep it up. They are we they are you. doing a great job. They just had their two year uh, anniversary and having between 50 and 60 people every yes. week. It's yes. amazing. It, amazing. It, that's that's where your community's at. We're thankful to be a part of it. I'm thankful to have spent this time with both of you folks. Thanks for joining us today. Continue to tune in and to follow us. You can get us on your favorite podcast platform. We're also on 100.9 radio out of Portland, Indiana. You can get that on the internet Sunday mornings at 7.45 a.m. Or you can contact us at podcast at ablbh.org. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast, to like it, to share it. And above all, remember, don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on others. And don't give in to the urge. Your answer, your healing, your recovery may be just around the corner or who knows, in our next episode. Continue. Stay in the battle. Keep fighting. We believe in you, and so does God. Thank you. God bless. Amen.